So tonight, I am bringing in one of the most moved cat in the tech space. They call him Mr. Mobile. That's right. Michael Fisher is coming up next on Vibe Drive, episode 54, which starts now. People, this your boy Viper, the man about tech, and welcome back to another episode of Viper Drive. This is the podcast about tech, hosted by the man about tech, and we don't have any time tonight to wait. So let me bring in one of the smoothest cats with the best voices in all of tech YouTube, Mr. Mobile himself, Michael Fisher, is on the podcast. What's up, bro? How you doing, Viper? I'm doing very well, thank you. There's no way in Hell, I can live up to that intro, but I'm sure going to try. I I will say this: I, I was I was out of uniform when I showed up backstage, though. But I think can I can I do this? Can you we can do that? You, yeah. Oh, Put on man. the shades. Put on oh, the shades. No. Oh, no, you man. are an official now. You are officially <laughs> official now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me on board, man. I'm really Thank excited. You. Thank you for joining me. So before we get into CES and all the good stuff that you talked, I saw your recap video and everything like that. Yeah. I got to talk to you about a story that my man Jason from Painfully Honest Tech told me last night on the podcast. Hip so it. he said that you were sitting in a car, rage listening to his video about the Motorola Ranger. <laughs> so you got to tell me about what, were your, what was your thought process as you were watching that video because he went hard on the Ranger pretty good. And I oh. know how you're a big fan of photobooths and photobooth tech. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I was coming from a, I was house sitting for my mother. I was out in the country and I was getting into a, a pickup truck and going to drive somewhere else. And I was just, I think it showed up in my, in, in my sub box and it was, I mean, it was an inflammatory headline too, as I recall. And I was like, man, you're going to make me, you're going to make me click on this, right? I'm going to give you this. All right, fine, Jason, let's see what you got. And it just starts just, can I, can I swear on this podcast? Viper, go, or, or, go ahead. Keep it go clean. Ahead. It just starts just, just shitting all over it, <laughs> but not just the razor. Like I understand if you're not down with the razor 22 first razor was the, one of the worst artifacts of pop culture history. And it was like, you're. And so I said to him in Vegas, we were in the middle of something. I was having a cigar. I was at the future tech awards party. I was sort of coming down off a speech and uh, he was, uh, I was like, it's great. To, it's great to see you, man. I want to get back to our conversation. By the way, you're hundred percent wrong about the razor. So we're gonna get... <laughs> well, I mean, my only issue, Michael, well, I got a couple, but the main issue is that, there's not much more to it other than the fact that it folds. I mean, yes, it's cool that it folds out to 6.2 inches. Yes, it's cool that it has the old Moto Razor form factor, which brings that, that nostalgia. I mean, hell, they even have a retro mode on the phone that makes it look like the old-time Razor with the uh, dial pad. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Oh, it's but awesome. You're talking about a $1,500 device, and basically the whole premise of it is how it folds. I, I just don't – I mean, I know it'll sell on nostalgia alone, but other than the folding, what else is it bringing to the table? Here's the thing. If you said in 2018, hey, look at that Xperia, you know, Xperia 1 or 2017, look at that Xperia XZ Premium you got in your hand with its six point whatever inch screen. If you could fold that in half on it, you know, across the Y axis and make it half the size, would that be cool? Like 98% of people would be like, yeah, I'd love that. I'd love something smaller in my pocket. That, that sounds great. Um, I think because Motorola rolls it out and it has a lot of compromises on the spec side and because it's it's very obviously meant to capture this like premium 
uh, fashion market, this, you know, the, the people who want to make a statement and blend all that with nostalgia. You've got a lot of noise in the conversation. You've got a lot of avenues and side streets that you can sort of travel down when you're talking about this product. But at the end of the day, it's a 6.2 inch phone that you can fold in half so that it takes up less space in your pocket. For people like you and me who have a lot of, I mean, I, I don't buy a garment with less than 17 pockets, so it's not that big a deal for me, right? But um, for people who, like the summertime, and you, you have a very reduced number of pockets, or if you're a lady or someone who wears really like tight clothing or clothing that doesn't have a lot of pockets in it at all, that's going to be a major win. Um, not Maybe not the razor specifically, but the whole product category that, that follows. So I'm looking forward to seeing more foldables, and I'm very excited to say that I think we are going to see a lot more yeah, I uh, I was looking at all the CES coverage, and uh, TCL had a foldable. The Motor Razor was at CES. Um, yeah. Also, uh, we know that Samsung is going to introduce their Galaxy Fold Z clamshell foldable next month. Right. So you you own the current Galaxy Fold, though. So I, I know you use it a lot um, when you're at press events and things like that. Yeah. But how long have you had that so far? Uh, I think I bought it uh, like New Year's Day. Um, okay. or, or the day after New Year's Day, I was like, I was laying in bed. It was three in the morning. I think I was tweeting during this and I was like, it, 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 it incensed me that, that Samsung took back all the review devices, not because mm. companies shouldn't take back review devices. That's perfectly within their right to do it. But, um, in, it, it was the first review device. Samsung had really been vehement about saying, you're, you're going to send this back and we're going to, it's going to be a 30 day strict thing. And when I started to wonder why that was. Um, I, I can't say this is, this is a fact, uh, but it seemed to me that if I were Samsung, I would want to get all those devices off the street before more of them started breaking. Cause you saw some of the coverage, right? Right. You saw some of the, some of the things where the screen started having these, uh, broken pixels and you, you know, the, the, the units started failing in the field. And if I were Samsung, I would have wanted to get them all right off the street. And some people think those units were flipped and sent to other reviewers. I think Samsung probably destroyed him or if at least if i were samsung that's what i would have done and i just didn't think that was fair you know i want to be able to know if i'm going to spend two thousand dollars on this thing how long it will last so someone like me and max and nirav and, and a couple of people we know have them as well people like us with with an audience and the ability to tell people how long it really lasts under real world conditions should have them so whether you know, whether I can expense it or not, I'm just going to buy it. So that's what I did at like three in the morning. And I woke up the next day. I was like, oh, man, what did I do? <laughs> so I walked over to Best Buy and I saw if I would regret it. And I picked it up. And I haven't regretted it since. It's just so useful. Yeah, I, I've seen your tweets on Twitter about it. And you are, you think it seems like you're in love with the Galaxy Fold, man, legitimately. I, I am, you know, and I recognize like everyone who asks me at an airport and everyone, when you walk around with a fold, you know, everyone asks you about it. You can't avoid people talking to you, uh, which is great because I like talking about phones all the time. And everyone who's asked, oh, oh, is that, would you recommend it? And I'm like, no, I love it. It's very <laughs> useful for me, but you shouldn't spend $2,000 on something that you're not willing to take to the beach because it's too fragile. You know, like you, you, you shouldn't spend two two thousand dollars on something where, like, to close it, you have to be very ginger and you kind of have to give people all kinds of disclaimers before they touch it. Um, but I, I love it. I don't think people should buy it. I'm looking forward to the sequels. Yep. So, like I, I think, like I said a minute ago, um, uh, Samsung's unpacked in its next month, and there's rumored that they're going to be unveiling a lower tier version of the Galaxy Fold. They're going to be unveiling a clamshell version of it so what are your thoughts on that potential device yeah it reminds me of actually 2006 when the first 
and this isn't a perfect analogy, but when the first Moto Razor came out, you remember how all of a sudden everybody started aping that form factor mm-hmm. where it was like, let's be really, let's build really, really thin clamshells. And Samsung came out with the device that I carried because I was on Sprint and I couldn't get the Razor. And it was the Samsung A500. And it was like a Razor clone, but without any of the character. Mm. It was just very minimalist. But right. of course, many more features and a much better screen and all that. I expect this to be almost exactly the same thing. You know, a Moto Razor without uh, without much of the, as much of the style, because it just seems to be a rectangle, but probably a lot fewer spec compromises. And, uh, well, we'll see how the screen is, you know. But uh, right. I, I, I'm excited to see what it is. I don't know if I should be excited for the product itself yet. <laughs> what about you? It's interesting because they are rumored to undercut the Razor because when the Razor comes out, um, right now, the motor Razor has been indefinitely delayed, so we don't know when that's coming. But right. when it does come out, it's rumored to be around 1500 bucks. But it is rumored that the Samsung Fold, the clamshell version, will be around eight, 900 bucks. So they're going to seriously undercut the Razor. Man. And like you said, it's probably going to have less compromises than features and specs. And it's going to make it very tough for motor to sell Razor if that is the case. I don't know if it is. I really don't. I mean, I think Samsung's going to move a ton of those. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think Motorola is going to have trouble shipping the Razor. I think the buzz around that device is so is so hot. It's so significant, and I think Verizon is going to push it so hard. Oh yeah. That um, I don't think they're going to have trouble shipping units. I think they're going to be selling out regularly. Uh, what? But we'll see. What do you think about them only releasing their motor razor for Verizon? I mean, wouldn't it like why aren't they releasing it to more carriers? I don't like it. Certainly, I like more consumer choice. Personally speaking, I'm a T-Mobile customer. It's going to be a real annoying thing if I can't get that eSIM activated on T-Mobile. Uh, I, I think we'll eventually we'll we'll get past those growing pains. Um, but you know, it's always about the money, right? I mean, if you're Motorola and Verizon, carry the largest carrier in the United States, um, is offering you an opportunity to put that phone in front of that largest audience in the country, mm-hmm. and they're demanding exclusivity for it. You know, I don't think you say no to that. Then again, I don't know. It could be exactly the opposite. I, for all I know, I just know if I were Motorola and I didn't have to lock my phone down to one carrier, I wouldn't. So there's reasons they're doing that. I, their business reasons is probably just somebody's backing up truckfuls of money. I just don't know who and where. I would imagine so, and I'm guessing it's probably Verizon. I think the I, I believe the uh, the first motor razor I think might have been a Verizon exclusive, if I remember correctly. So no, it was a singular exclusive. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, which later became AT and T because it was a big deal when it finally came to CDMA and oh, well, well, Verizon get it right now. It's okay. can get it. I'll tell. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I got it. I got an interesting question for you. So in tech YouTube, there are two people that come to the top of our minds when we talk about voice. There's Mr. Mobile Michael Fisher. Thanks. And there's Aaron, Mr. Who's the Boss. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Zach, but oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Aaron, 100%. Yes. Oh, man. So well, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> what are my thoughts? I'm glad to be one of the two, certainly. <laughs> Uh, I sure like, I sure like using my instrument. Aaron's really fun because he, uh, he was talking recently. We were talking about this. We were standing in a circle and talking YouTube stuff and someone was brought up Aaron's voice and he was like, yeah, you know, it's rather, I know it sounds rather posh. People (laughs) say, um, you know, and and I say, um, you know, you should hear my dad. (laughs) I was just like, no. Oh, just keep talking. I did. You know, it's, it, <laughs> I don't. I don't dislike Aaron, but even if I did, I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to for long because <laughs> that's a very seductive voice. 
Yeah, he definitely seems like a pretty cool dude. And from what I hear, his voice is definitely legit. When you hear it in person, it's just like the video from what I hear. So absolutely. Uh, yeah, but, you know, like me, like when you hear it in person, it's not, you know, you're right, like right on top of a thousand dollar right. microphone. You know, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a very different thing. Oh, Plus, absolutely. I have to put mine through treble and, and a, a couple filters to get it to cut through the music. Mm-hmm. Um, credit where it's due. I hung out at CES uh, and I was sitting across from Hayato Husman, who sometimes edits my stuff for uh, he works at Android Central. And I was like, Hayato, can you help me uh, cut out some of this background that we just shot on this A-roll? And he popped open a bunch of panels I didn't even know existed in Final <laughs> Cut and was tweaking all these like skeuomorphic knobs and stuff. And I'm like, I, just, there's no way I'm ever going to understand this. I'm just going to, you know what? Treble boost. That's all I, that's all I'm doing. <laughs> I completely understand, man. There's a bunch of stuff in Final Cut I probably, I'm not aware of and don't know about, but hey, I just get my usual editing done and I go on with it. Exactly, man. Definitely. So. At the Future Tech Awards out there in Vegas, you had a very interesting experience, I would imagine. You got to present an award to Marquette Brownlee. So talk about that. Talk about your experience doing that. You know what's really cool? I've known Marquette since 2012. And uh, the the we were inducting him into the the future Hall of Fame, which is this newly formed kind of well, it's a Hall of Fame, right? For mm-hmm. people who've driven the industry forward, uh, other winners were inside the industry, were you know with companies that that make products for the industry. He was the only, I believe, uh, journalist or or um, YouTube personality in in the Hall of Fame, and, and still is right now. So anyway, I got to present him this award, and it was great. Um, we had some. We, we, I had to cut down my speech. Uh, it was going to be about two minutes long and I wanted it to be longer, but I had to cut it back because we were running a little long, yada, yada, yada. I kind of wish I hadn't had to do that because I, I really wanted to say the whole thing. But ultimately, I got to say what I mean, which is, look, if you know anyone in this industry, you know you meet all types. You meet folks who are pompous and bullheaded and, or, and fickle or clueless. And then you uh, you meet some of the also some of the best people, some of the most creative and some of the most um, warm and uh, authentic uh, Marquez is in the latter camp. I mean, no one deserves very few people deserve the amount of success he has gotten as much as he does. I and, you know, if I could give him a award uh, twice a year for the next <laughs> 20 years, I would love to do that because, you know, the guy's great. He is. Um, he's been nothing but cool to me. I've had him on here a couple of times and. He, he's been nice. I mean, I've never met him in person, but I can only imagine that he's in he's the same way person that he is throughout the digitals and things like that. So he is definitely legit. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I really like the guy. So you went out to uh, you were out at CES. Um, I watched your recap video. You uh, powered by Mercedes and all that good stuff. Yeah. So Mercedes had the Avatar. That's but right. Did you get a chance to see the uh, the Sony electric car that they unveiled? No, see, I had only heard about it. It wasn't my intention to cover every car at CES because CES is so huge, right? Mm-hmm. You have to pick and choose what you're going to cover. And you know me, I do car videos, what, three times a year, four times a year. It's very clearly like a hobby and not my principal beat. So uh, because Mercedes was bringing me out there, I knew I was going to be covering their their concept. Uh, and I only, I only learned of the Sony car after it had been revealed, um, because not to get too far into this, but Sony has never been the greatest at uh, communicating with uh, on, from its mobile side. And um, uh, as a result, I haven't gotten to know the rest of the company too much. We're changing that this year, but uh, I didn't get to see the Sony or the LG cars in depth. What did you think of the Sony car? I'm I'm interested. I was shocked. Were you? I had no idea they were working on an electric car. Then when they rolled it out, I'm like, what in the world? I mean, it looked good. I mean, it's only a concept, so it's never coming to market, but right, it looked exactly. good. 
Yeah, it did look good. Um, and 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 that's the thing. It's a concept, just like the Avatar, right? Right. It's like, um, I forgot who said it. I quoted him in my video, but you know, it's like the CES should be called the Concept Expo Show because it's mm -hmm. like so many things that will never come to market. They're just built to advance conversations in the industry and, frankly, to help companies sell a marketing message. Um, so I, I get a little frustrated with concepts, but when they're as cool as the Mercedes was, you know. To, they flew me there so like yeah i don't have to say this but i get it if you're skeptical but just take one look at that thing and it's like oh my god no <laughs> when it rolled out on stage i was like oh my whoa because i didn't get an early look at it no that car was i mean did you get a chance to get inside of it at all uh, i did not sit inside the car i sat inside the simulator that they had where they, they had the cockpit mock-up i sat inside mm. that earlier in the day so you put your hand on that you know the haptic hump Right, right. And it's like the car, it kind of feels like this. Uh, you strip the shell off a turtle and you just <laughs> you just have your hand on his body and it's breathing. You know, it's like, oh, that's weird. weird. Yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. But uh, what a monster of a car. And I could have watched those flaps on the back just do their thing right. all day long. Little scaly like, thing that looked kind of yeah, crazy. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that is definitely a concept. If I heard correctly, it was only street legal on that vacant street, whatever street it was on. That was it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's no side view mirrors. There's no, <laughs> you can't see out the back. I, you know, it's it's not. <laughs> that's the problem with concept cars. They look amazing and they're incredible, and you're like, well, why don't they actually build this? Oh, it's totally illegal and very unsafe. Oh, that's why. Okay. <laughs> so, gotta ask you, any chance you're coming to Chicago for the auto show? No, I will not. I, I th I've thought about it. I, uh, I. When is that? Uh, February eighth through the seventeenth. No, I may be. I may be in Chicago for for some other reasons sometime soon, but uh, we'll see. When you when you do that, could you like let me know? Give me a heads up. I sure would like to. Yeah, absolutely. If I'm there for any amount of time, I would like to get a coffee or a or something more potent. All right, such as a five hour energy. <laughs> <laughs> five hour energy. <laughs> Let's get that vitamin B. So you've done coverage on this. I've done coverage on this, but 5G is here or not here, depending on how you look at it. We know Verizon has the multi-millimeter wave technology that if you sneeze, you lose signal. Yeah. T-Mobile has their whole nationwide uh, 5G that they're practically using off on top of existing uh, uh, spectrum and things like that. What are your thoughts on 5G? I saw your T-Mobile video. Um, You were very in-depth and detailed about that, but what are your overall thoughts on 5G and where it's at now and where it will be maybe by the end of the year? 5G matters an awful lot to the future of the industry. If you are a consumer spending money today, though, or frankly, for most of the rest of this year, with very few exceptions, you don't need to worry about it. Mm -hmm. It's look, you know, I mean, I, it's amazing because I remember the jump from 3G to 4G being this real, real instantly recognizable paradigm shift. The first time I held an LTE phone and downloaded an app in like I felt like the phone started installing the app right after I pressed the download button like it was. It was unbelievably fast compared to what I'd been stuck on with HSPA or EVDO. Um, and 5G just, like you say, you use Verizon's and yeah, you get, I mean, it's it's demonstrably fast, but the whole, none of the infrastructure is ready for it. The Google Play Store still throttles you. Um, like we had to use the Samsung Galaxy Store to download apps at faster speeds because the Play Store wasn't, you know, it's like the most confusing thing about 5G to me is that the companies felt the need to race each other to it. And right. as a result, they felt the need to just advertise it before it was ready. Mm -hmm. Both times I saw the Verizon stuff, I was like, no, you shouldn't get this. This is dumb. You're, you should not buy a phone based on this. 
uh, when I used the T-Mobile one, I was like, oh, wow, you really can use it in a lot of places. But in the best case scenario, this low band is only going to be 20% faster, 20% faster than 4G. And that's best case. So you shouldn't have run out to buy that either. So why is anyone trying to sell this right now? Build it and then sell it when it's ready. I don't understand. And I've asked I, everyone that and they can't, they don't have an answer. I feel the same way you do. I don't know why they're rushing out to advertise 5G when we don't have a really actual infrastructure in place to even take advantage of it. Like, yeah. Like you said, the, the Verizon multimeter waves, I mean, they can't even penetrate walls. The signal doesn't even last. You can cross the street and lose signal with multimeter waves. So. Penetrate leaves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got you got friend team over with this low band stuff, which is basically scooped up 4G. It's not even 5G. And it's like, what are we what are we talking about here? And what's crazy, what sucks is what gets lost in this is like, and it's important because there's no way to preserve nuance on the internet anymore. So I want to be clear. 5G is super important. It is what the future will be built on. It's going to enable an entire new swath of connected devices. It's going to do so many great things, but only once it's had the build out necessary to to make it work right. And it just I agree. isn't there right now. So why are you selling it? Why are you amping it up? I don't get it. And I, you know, every time I, uh, my organic 5G coverage, I'm kind of like, if there's a new angle on this, I want to stay on top of it. I'm interested. I'll report on it. But if there's a if any sponsors come out, come around as they do and, you know, people involved in the industry and they, they want to sponsor videos and they say, well, we really want to highlight our 5G stuff. I'm like, I don't well, I have no interest in talking about that because this you shouldn't be selling this yet. You shouldn't be <laughs> hyping people up. And then as Qualcomm did uh, at the Snapdragon Summit, not Qualcomm, excuse me, Verizon did at the Snapdragon Summit say <laughs> that um, at the Qualcomm Snapdragon Summit say, uh, oh, yeah, remember. Remember when we had a bunch of uh, naysayers about millimeter wave? Uh, go ask them to turn on their their 5G phones on the beach down there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, what do you know? It's, you can still use it here and then not three inches over here. Like, <laughs> guys, is it, I, there's, a, there's a place for... Uh... Speaking of Verizon, are you, uh, are you doing that commercial? Don't know. I'm supposed to have an interview on uh, Saturday, so we'll see what happens with that. I hope it goes well, man. Maybe don't play them this until after your cast. <laughs> right you know what i mean <laughs> listen man i like there's awesome people over at verizon i love them to death but i feel the Definitely. same way you do their 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 5g network it, it's not it's not ready it's not it's not ready for prime time at all yeah let's be clear i mean i'm, I'm confused about the strategic decisions and i i'm in, i'm no way saying that like you know a lot of people will be like how have they not figured this out and it's like these are really hard challenges to solve this all of this is very difficult to do my confusion lies with the timing why why people felt it necessary to start selling this stuff last year absolutely yep yeah i yeah i don't know. i mean i love i love the fact that we are at 5g we are here we're trying to build it out but like i said i agree with you we're not we're not we're not quite there yet yeah. but a more plausible uh area that we are at or we it seems like we have arrived in the foldable department like i said earlier tcl is bringing out their foldable Samsung and bringing out their Galaxy Fold clamshell, but they're also working on the successor, the true successor to the Galaxy Fold. We know that Microsoft is bringing out the Surface Duo at some point this year. Mm -hmm. So, Michael, it seems like foldables are here, man. And foldables are, are certainly on the roadmap. Now, I am excited about them personally. I think most people will be once they actually start to use them. I think some people already are, uh, and I mean normal people. As mm -hmm. I say, you can't carry the fold around without people asking you what that is and what's and asking you all about it afterwards. Um, but I think it's important to 
like with the 5G conversation, it's important to recognize when you should actually drop your money on this stuff. To date, no foldable phone has hit the market on time yet. They've all Correct. been delayed, right? And yep. of course, we know what happened to the fold. Uh, Razor, as you said, is indefinitely. Motorola said shouldn't be a significant delay, but we're coming up on the end of January. I'm still waiting to hear about that. Uh, then we've got Lenovo. This isn't a phone, but Lenovo X1 Fold. Right. Uh, they didn't announce a timetable for it, so they're not late yet. We'll see. We, you know, we'll see if midsummer 2020 goes by and it's still not out. But if foldables are really hard to implement, I think they're going to be very expensive for this year and and probably next. But once they hit a point where normal people can start to afford them and without, you know, just feeling the raw pain of, of an empty bank account or a, a massive credit card bill, um, they're going to be it. I mean, it's going to be rarer and rarer, I think, to find non-folding phones just because you can do so much more with them. Yeah. Uh, I talked about earlier how I didn't really see much of practicality with the Moto Razor foldable, but I know the Galaxy Fold allows you to run what three apps at once, once and full, uh, fully folded out and things like that. You got cameras on the inside, cameras on the outside. So as much as I bang on the Galaxy Fold for durability issues, the feature set and the tech in the Galaxy Fold is actually legit. And if that's where Samsung is starting at, as they work on the successor to the Fold, it is going to be a bright future for the Galaxy Fold and foldable moving forward. I was a big fan of the Huawei design, even though it kind of walking out over there in China and things like that. But I just yeah. thought it looked kind of sleek and everything. And I mean, we we don't know what Huawei is going to do with their successor to the Mate X, but. Yeah, I mean, we, we were talking about it the other day here in the studio because, you know, I share a studio with with Michael Josh and David Kogan and David mm -hmm. Amell and Jaime Rivera. And we were like, do you guys what can we find one of those on eBay? Can we just <laughs> we're tired of we're tired of Huawei? We're waiting on Huawei to send us one. So can we just buy one? And like the one we found on eBay, the Huawei Mate X was like nine thousand oh! dollars. Like, man, oh, no, 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 no. We'll we'll just wait and see Ooh. if they send us one. Oh, yeah. oh that's rough. That's rough. Yeah, Ever. Michael Pepper Tech Talk in the chat was it's like the Mate X is more exciting design wise for me. And I hear that a lot, Viper. Like I it, and it is. It, it's it's stunning to to hold and to unfold and to to look at. But I gotta say, I think screen on the outside, until we get a better display protection technology, it's it's a losing it it is not the way to go. That thing is gonna be scratched from day one unless you keep it in the case all the time. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm one of the people that think that the Mate X is sexier in design than the Galaxy Fold. But like you said, the Fold, at least it protects the screen because it folds in. Exactly. And the Mate X folds out and the screen gets all types of exposed to dirt, dust, scratches, whatever. And then, I mean, for as good as it looks design-wise, it's not the most practical use of the Fold. I mean, what are you yeah, doing? I know. I, I love being able to close the Fold and know that I've I've hidden away the most important and the most fragile component of the whole phone there you go when it's closed it's like okay you're safe as long as i don't get any sand in there so me and you talked about almost a year ago now on, on this live stream and i was telling you about how i wasn't really excited for technology in 2019 and you were like i don't think that's the right way to look at look about it and you happen to be right because even though i was kind of like eh, on technology and things coming 2019 ended up being a very good year for tech so we're here again 2020 michael what are you looking forward to most in tech this year? Yeah, if it folds, I'm jazzed about it. I think uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's a lot coming in the door. That's um, you know uh, variations of what we've seen so far. Of course, mm -hmm. tech is going to evolve. We've got uh, the the photos we've seen leaked of Galaxy S20. Of course, it's going to be another rectangle with uh, yeah. with more cameras, right? Right. Uh, same with 
what we've seen leaked from what what Xiaomi, uh, some of the some of the bigger brands we're all familiar with hearing OnePlus even with the their concept phone, right. interesting stuff. But again, yet you know, a rectangle. I was I was surprised. I was expecting them to if they called something a concept phone, I was expecting them to have a foldable as well. Right. Um. So for me, anything that that defies that, anything that flies in the face of that, I'm excited by. Uh, in pa years past, uh, it w we thought for a second, maybe, I don't know if any of us really thought it, maybe I hoped it, <laughs> that keyboards would make a comeback. Maybe there would be a, uh, a little bit more variety and form factors because we would bring back physical keys or eliminate mm -hmm. some physical keys and put some other in to make, a, make a wraparound thing. But I really, I really think the big hardware evolution is going to be with folding displays. And that goes to, to the PCs as well. You know, like... I had so many people on my Lenovo X1 Fold videos in the comments saying foldables make more sense on PCs because you can do a lot more with that thing. That thing's a book or it's a laptop or it's a tablet or it's a tablet you stand up. It's got its own keyboard. The keyboard goes inside. It charges when it, it's like this beautifully thought out piece of hardware and you couldn't do it without without folding technology. So I'm all in on that stuff. I'm excited by it. I'm jazzed. What what has you stoked? Because I can't. I'll just. I, you should call me Mister Foldable. I I won't. I just won't <laughs> stop talking about it. So what what are you stoked about? Well, like I said last year, I was kind of bullish on foldable phones, but it seems like they are they are here to stay in 2020. So I'm I'm kind of excited to see where these manufacturers take them because we know Samsung is coming out with the successor to the uh, the Galaxy Fold, so that'll be interesting. TCL, which absolutely wrecked shop at CES, they got their foldable in the wings, and then. Or motor coming out the razor. So I'm kind of interested to see what happened with the foldable devices. Ah, uh, Sam. Yeah. yeah. Were you interested in the other T did TCL stuff at CES? The, the I mean the TV that that uh that micro LED TV that I saw. Holy lord, they their TVs look legit. And their phones, they are they are coming out with five to six hundred dollar five G phones. Well, at least one of them is gonna be five G, but they're all under six hundred bucks. So I am definitely interested in an old TCL phone for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting value play. I, I was looking at those while they were showing us the foldable prototype as well. And I was like, under, you know, to no one's surprise, I was more interested in the foldable. But um, it seemed to me that a, a TCL, the phone strategy is sort of not proven yet. Um, yeah, it is exciting to have phones that have the features that they're promising at those price points. But I feel like they lack the cool factor that OnePlus has. I feel like they lack the really smashing value that something like a Poco phone has or an Asus Zenfone five, uh, 6. Um, and it it kind of feels, I said this in the briefing too, it kind of feels a little like an LG play and they're not they're not doing so great. So um, I'm much more excited for TCL's foldable concepts, which really are game-changing, paradigm-shifting stuff like wallet shapes and wrist slap bracelet kind of things. And it's crazy They They have this crazy division of the company. And then they have a division of the company that's kind of like, yeah, okay guys, that's great, but learn how to put a battery in it. In the meantime, we have to ship these phones, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. That's, that's the impression that I get. Hopefully we'll see something exciting at MWC. Yeah. I don't know, Michael, it seems like TCL packing some crucial display technology, no $500 phone. So I think, I think they might be more before to reckon with than what you realize. I don't no know. Way. No, no, way. Way. No, no, no. I mean, like when was the last time you heard someone say like, Oh man, my, I love this phone, but the display, you know, it's not that great unless they bought a hundred dollar LG phone. Like I, I feel like <laughs> normal people can't. Do, oh yeah. Normal people don't care. No, it, well, this is a broad generalization. I understand. But, but most normal people are like, yeah, I think the displays are good enough. I don't think you can sell a phone just on like, 
it has a separate display controller because and the, most people are just like, oh, okay, well, it's got a kind of an ugly hole punch and it's, uh, I don't care, you know, it doesn't really look like anything. So, <laughs> so I, uh, it's, it's funny that we talk about display because on Twitter it was uh, revealed yesterday or the day before yesterday that OnePlus is bringing their OnePlus 8 with a 2K resolution, 120 hertz refresh rate display. Now, it was also uh, put out on Twitter by top Samsung Insider Ice Universe that Samsung would not be bringing that similar tech to their Galaxy phones this year. The Galaxy phones are going to have a 120 hertz refresh rate, but they can't operate with that refresh rate at 2K display. If you use the 120 hertz on the Galaxy phone, it will automatically revert back to a 1080p display. So <laughs> I've been asking everybody on Twitter, and I guess I'll ask you too, why is it that Samsung can bring that technology to OnePlus? Because we know Samsung makes the OnePlus display, but they won't even bring the, that own technology to their own device. And so I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of confused by this. I got a few good explanations, but I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. I'm going to give you a real answer, and I'm going to give you a kind of a troll answer. And the troll answer I'll do first. Thank you. You, you, you know my favorite thing about foldable phones? Mm-hmm they've made the industry exciting enough again that I don't have to have conversations about refresh rates and resolutions on boring old rectangles. I just don't care. <laughs> I mean, right. Like I, I know uh, when, when 90 Hertz displays became a thing, I was like, Oh, cool. When razor did 120 Hertz in the first place, I was like, yes. Oh, hundred percent. This is what things need to be. I get it. It's exciting. It's fine. Again, most people you change, take someone's Samsung phone, flagship phone, change the resolution. Most people can't tell the damn difference. I'm telling you. You're correct. You, you know, but if you're looking for it, of course you can tell the difference. But you do that, you know, you do that either because you're you really have great eyesight and you want to be very proud of your device, or you do it so you can impress your friends. And that's that's all fine, but it's just not it's not terribly interesting to me. Um, the technical you ask a great question, and I don't know if if Samsung is making panels um for OnePlus phones, uh, you know, why 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 not be able to match them point for point in terms of features and performance. And you know what, man, I think it's just a matter of Samsung builds displays for a lot of people and the customer chooses what's important. OnePlus is a company that sells to a customer base that cares about all, many of those specs and much of that performance. And I think Samsung sells to a more mainstream audience and it probably has made a tactical decision that, you know, we don't need to emphasize that particular uh, capability. We're going to put our energy elsewhere when we make this display, like in color accuracy or off-axis viewing or something. You know what I mean? That's my guess. Right. No, I, th I think uh, that's pretty much what most people have told me. They they told me that Samsung doesn't really prioritize that type of tech like OnePlus does. Plus, Samsung might be trying to save on some battery life, too. So that might be another reason why they're not doing it. But Sure. I just, I just find it very intriguing and interesting that OnePlus can run that tech on their phone, but Samsung, who makes the damn display, won't run it on their phone. I'm like, what is this? But, but we have him in the chat, but Rene Ritchie is the one who opened my eyes to that like two two years ago when there was some flap, you know, everyone was doing the typical Apple versus Samsung pissing match and people <laughs> were saying was like, well, you know, the only reason the iPhone got, got to be that good looking is because Samsung made the display. And Rene's point was just like, yeah, it's every Samsung makes the displays for a lot of people. Uh, displays are made by a lot of companies. These are component manufacturers. It's not a matter of like, it, it, they're, they're making them to Apple specifications because Apple's their customer. So you mm -hmm. have the specifications provider to thank, not the manufacturing expertise, or at least not entirely. And I'm like, yeah, what do you know? There's a lot of layers to this stuff. There's nuance. It's not just about winning internet <laughs> arguments on Twitter. <laughs>
Yeah, I, I find it funny how, uh, you know, our buddy Travis MCP talking about brand loyalty and people who have a misplaced brand loyalty. Like These manufacturers don't care about people arguing in YouTube comments that's just about display resolutions and this, that, and the other. They don't care. They're just trying to put out whatever makes them the most profit and go from there. That's what they're trying to do. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I want to kind of change gears a little bit. I know you're a big, I know you're more of an Android person than an iPhone and iOS person, but it's hard to ignore what's going on with the FBI and Apple. Are you aware of what's happening or has been happening? Yeah. With the Pensacola shooter uh, thing and the, yeah. Um, it's basically a redux of what happened in California. Correct. Two years so ago, I'm yeah. interested to get your take on where you fall on this side of debate. Do you feel like Apple should be more um, helpful with the FBI or do you feel like, I think most people do that. There's no way in hell the FBI should be given a backdoor into iOS. It's tough, right? Because in a situation like this, you your knee-jerk reaction is to say something horrible happened. It sure would be great to prevent those things from happening. So if we can do that by getting more information, why don't we do that? I get why people have that perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, I tend to fall on the other side of, of the fence most of the time because... If, we, we live in an era of privacy erosion already. We live in an era of, of dangerous precedence. And, and in a time when Apple is kind of one of the last companies that has built a strategy around keeping your data safe and respecting your privacy. Yes, that was the no-duh strategic move for them with Google being like, we're the company that gives you way smart things, but you have to give us access to all of your data. So it makes sense from a tactical perspective for Apple to take the opposite tack, but also Apple sells more than half the smartphones in the United States. <laughs> um, it's great that a company of that size is for what, it, even if it's to make money saying we're going to protect your data. And if the government comes after us and asks us for things that we don't think they'd need to know, well, then we're going, we're not going to cooperate. I think I, I admire that. I do. Apple annoys me in a lot of ways. I don't, I, uh, but, but this is, this is a move of theirs that I can respect. And just a little disclaimer, I'm not as well read on this as I, as I could be, because sadly, I feel like I made that decision with the California incident. And when this happened, I was like, well, I don't think my position has really changed much, but, um, you know, do you, are you in the same boat? Yes, I made a whole entire video about this, and I'm just of the mindset that there are over 1 billion Apple device owners out there. There is no way in hell that there should be a backdoor out there that could compromise all those iPhones um, to sacrifice all of our privacy and security to trying to get one terrorist. Um, I've had talks with a bunch of people about this. I understand where some people fall on, or oh, this guy shot servicemen and things like that. He shouldn't have the right to privacy on his cell phone, this, that, and the other, and I completely wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. But on the other side, if you're talking about sacrificing or um, if you're talking about sacrificing the privacy and security of a billion people, not to mention it becomes a national security issue in the in the fight of trying to get one terrorist or getting inside of one terrorist phone. Uh -uh. No, 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 no. Yeah, we got to We got to protect the many and not just try to go after one person. Yeah, it's a difficult question. It's a good debate to have. But um, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. So before we uh before we start now, you said you were using a one thousand dollar microphone. Did I hear you right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, that was not a 
that's not a flex. I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, thought I, a flex. Oh, no. <laughs> I have to reference this mic a lot, uh, because, you know, t- typically I'll be doing a phone review video or a, or a laptop review video. I still have to do this MacBook pro 16 video. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, one of its big selling points is this, is this awesome microphone array. Right. So I frequently have to cite this microphone, which is my studio mic that I use for all my VO. And it is, it's an AKG C414 XLS. And uh, the only reason I knew how to buy it was because in 2016, when we started this channel, I called up Juan Carlos Bagnell and I said, hey, man, I don't know anything about microphones, even though I've been doing voiceover for a long time. You need to help me. And he was like, if you have the budget for it, get this microphone. It's the best for what you and dude for four years. It has treated me brilliantly. I love this piece of gear. I really do. Hey, man, it sounds pretty damn good. No doubt. Yeah. So thank you. Go ahead. So speaking of voiceover. Most of your content, or at least most of the content on YouTube of yours I've watched, have been voiceovers. Yeah. You do come on camera sometimes, but it's not a lot. Most of your content is with you doing voiceovers. Why is that? Why do we not see Michael Fisher more in real time on camera during your your content, your videos? Uh, It's a matter of approach. I think if you talk to most, and tell me if you use this technique, because I know you're on camera for like most of your coverage, Mm -hmm. uh, almost all of it, right? Right. Um, and I think if you talk to most people who deliver content in that style, they will say that their their workflow is like, I'm going to outline bullet points and I'm going to talk around, I'm going to kind of improvise around them so that I can stay natural. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, almost everyone I've talked to who, who's primarily a role uh, says that. And for me, um, I can do that. I don't like doing that. It it it's kind of stresses me out while I'm doing it. There's a lot of wasted time as I botch takes and I, but more crucially, I find that I say things that aren't entirely correct. And remember, I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about. I'm not saying anybody else does. It's just me. And I will let those things slide either because I'm at a trade show and there's no time for a retake. We just have to go and we'll correct it in the description or whatever. Or I'm just out of out of time or I don't notice it until later. With VO. I can write the whole script ahead of time and then I can go shoot all the B-roll I need. And during the shooting process, I can refine the script and I can fix the things I got wrong. And then when I record it in the sound booth, I can fix more things I got wrong as I read them. Then when I'm editing the VO, I can fix more things I got wrong. And then when I edit the video, I can finally put a polish on it and take out things that are done. So the short answer is it provides more opportunity for me to get things right and be precise. Mm -hmm. And, um, it it's I like I, I put more value on that than uh, putting my talking face on screen for more people to see. Now, that said, I have heard the, you know, people it gets boring. People want to see different stuff. They want to see you adapt and stuff and they want to see your face more. So I have been adding more a roll in uh, and I that will continue in 2020, even though it takes longer and is harder. And <laughs> the audio is mismatched and not, you know, not as good as the booth, but it that's that's what people want so that's what i'm going to give them now that's very interesting for me to hear you say because you used to be an actual actor yeah yeah that's true but when you're an actor um most of the time you're memorizing you're memorizing a script right uh i could memorize one of my own scripts but first of all it takes forever uh unless you're in theater you 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 go through you botch a lot of takes uh it, it takes a lot of time and when you're writing your own copy and you can change it dynamically because, oh, you screwed something up or you want to clarify something or the facts have changed, it's just easier to do VO. It's faster. It's, and when you're only kicking out one or two videos a week because of your existing production pipeline being so uh, complicated, 
that matters. You know, any little bit of efficiency or increased accuracy you can get, uh, if you're me, you take it. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand that. I it's funny because I never really thought about it that way in terms of you being able to rewrite or re uh, refine your script as you look at the B roll that you took because. Like you said, you could write a script and you could think that script is good for what you need. But then when you put your B-roll on the timeline and see what's going on, then like you said, you could refine your script right then on there and then go from there. And that's, I never really right. thought about it like that. Right. Or like, yeah, you're like shooting your B-roll and the phone does something unexpected in your hand while you're while you're shooting. And then you can come back and edit, edit the VO and say like, yeah, look, this is this is a good example of this. You know, but if I was set up to do a roll, I could just say, right, that it would already be in the can. You know, it's just like I'm using the phone. Oh, you see that? Yeah. Yeah. It's screwed up. See, that's what I'm talking about. And then you move on. So, yeah, you know, it's um, it's always a compromise. It's always a give and take. But it's just the the way my my approach has evolved. That's all. Well, I am not here to complain about your approach because your approach has been amazing for a long time. Thanks. Man. Um, How long have you been doing YouTube videos now for tech uh, since 2012? Okay. But I started my first YouTube channel in 2006. That's with right. My dad. With your yeah. dad. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and that video is still alive. That channel is still alive. Actually, we're about to hit a a rather large milestone tonight, I think. I will look that up because I don't remember the exact number. Um, but uh, that channel is still very much alive and we're still uh, we're still making about one video a year, which, <laughs> you know, bra breaks all the rules of uh, being successful on YouTube. But we have a large backlog that's somewhat evergreen so what about you, you? what what about me <laughs> yeah what about you what, how long when did you start again oh i started uh january 1st 2018 so i'm in year two or year three actually i guess now man you got the whole ride ahead of you i'm i'm envious it's gonna be fun i'm you trying man i i've been i've been a little frustrated because i feel like the channel growth has been kind of slow but i'm sticking with it i'm i've uh i've made the decision this year to kind of niche down into more apple centric content so i can give the algorithm a little bit more to work with i'm, I'm going to do that for the entire year and see how that goes and then we'll just go from there cool but yeah, yeah. don't be afraid to change gears if, if in you know a year is a long time to do an experiment right so mm -hmm. i feel like if you, if in six months you see that, that there's not that you're not trending the way you want to um maybe maybe just give yourself permission to try new things. That's what I, the, at the Westworld dinner, I got that piece of advice. And I was like, I'm going to keep that in mind. It, it's just so frustrating with YouTube because the algorithm expects you to do one thing over and over and over again. And I'm a lot like yourself. I like to cover all the tech. I love Apple products, but I don't only want to cover just Apple. I want to cover Apple, Samsung, Google, all the tech. Definitely. But when you do that on YouTube, the algorithm just does not like it. And yeah. Like, Ugh. Yeah, thankfully, I think there's been a trend recently because it's same thing with me, man. Like, I, you know, I love my phones, mm -hmm. but recently you've noticed maybe that I've done a lot more smartwatch videos, a lot more right. laptop videos and car videos even. And formerly the algorithm would punish you. It's like, look, this doesn't look like a OnePlus whatever T <laughs> versus Galaxy Note, whatever comparison. Get out of here. But now uh, it's the, the algorithm seems to be prioritizing views. Um aggregate views on videos and taking that into account in a much heavier way than it did before it, when it makes the decision whether to, to to recommend the video to others so as long as you make a good video and it gets put in front of the right audience at first and gets that growth that it needs it's that's that's what's more important than um style consistency it seems i don't know that's what i've heard anyway um yeah it changes all the time so who knows yeah, yeah exactly right it's a black box that we all have to deal with and Basically. So speaking of milestones, you're going to hit one this year on Mr. Mobile. You're going to hit a million subscribers at some point this year. Do you got any big plan for that? 
Sure hope I'm going to hit a million subscribers at some point this year. I think I said that last year, too. It's a problem, you know, because you're talking about slow growth, man. I feel it. Um, I, I think you're going to hit a million this year. I think so, too. You know, one of the things that, you know, how you know what it's like. It feels like a hamster wheel. You've got to be constantly creating videos. And if yep. you're not, you you slow growth. One of the things I did last year was like, listen, we have to make money. The channel is, has, has this runway. We know we needed to make money by a certain point. So I started, you know, a lot of my time went into Instagram and building sponsored content and stuff that goes inside the YouTube videos. So this year, I'm going to get get more of the focus back on the YouTube channel, get a couple more people in to help me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very excited because a million is all I need. That's all I care about. I doesn't need, if it ever goes above a million, I'm, I'm like, fine. That's, that's just, you know, cause that's me. That's, that's what I wanted. Um, but do you have a, you have a, you have a, you have a hundred thousand subscriber goal by the end yeah. of 2020. Isn't that right? That's the goal. Yeah. Oh man. I, there's, there's no way you can't hit that. Look, <laughs> I love watching your, every single time I tune into your video and you start yelling at me through the computer screen, <laughs> I'm stoked. I'm just like, I, I don't care what he's talking about. I just want to hear more. I, I'm just amped about whatever he's talking about. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Uh, like I said, I don't, I mean, for me personally, though, I think that a 100,000 number, I mean, that's the number, but I think for me, it's more about the things that I need to do to even get close to sniffing that goal. Cause it's kind of a, I mean, for most people, it's kind of unrealistic. I mean, I'm at a little over 3,000 now and I'm trying to get to a 100,000 by the end of the year. So it's kind of unrealistic, but for me, I don't care. I'm going to go for it anyway. And if I, I mean, I have a, a strategy of what I want to do to try to get there. And I feel like if I follow the strategy, no matter where I'm at, at the end of the year, I will have produced a desirable result. So that's what I'm trying to go after. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, there's no substitute for just sitting down and doing the work. It's always yep. nice when you stumble into that one video that you're like, oh, wow, somehow no one ever thought of this or no one ever did it this way. Or, oh, my God, a Pixel 7 fell off the back of a truck and I found it on the sidewalk. <laughs> Whatever that is, it's always nice when you're like, oh, wow, this video got two billion views. And now I have this thing. But there is that's very rare. And also there's just no substitute for that constant determined work of getting better and delivering consistently. And you know, it takes forever, but when it finally does bite in and grab some traction, it's, it's really rewarding. And if nothing else, it's really rewarding for you. Like dude on that rapid Nadion channel that my dad and I uh, run, mm -hmm. which is by the way, about to hit a hundred million lifetime views. I think that's what the, the threshold is. Tonight. Oh, wow. So I'm like, Whoa, my God, that's awesome. My dad's really stoked about it, which I'm, I'm very happy about <laughs> dude. There are videos on there that you have gotten, they took forever to make and they have gotten no views and they feature some of the most beautiful hand work, like hand built scale models you've ever seen. And I've ever seen. And it's heartbreaking that only 10,000 people watch them when uh, millions of people watch a sinking model Titanic video. But man, every time I watch those videos, I'm like, I'm very proud. We did this. I'm very proud of this work. And I think that that's all that that's, it's not all that matters, but that's what matters most, isn't it? I think that's the main thing. No matter how many views you get on a video, as long as you enjoy creating the content that you put out, I think that that is what gets us through. That's what matters. That's right. There's nothing, nothing matters more than being proud of something that you built. And that's what we're doing. We're building, building entertainment content. We're building self-expression. We're build, building creative content. And that's just... It's just no, great when you're great when your sign falls off the <laughs> thing and interrupts and otherwise uh, well that's okay that sentence I didn't know where that was going anyway. <laughs> Random moments on moments on the podcast. <laughs>
A-roll. <laughs> A-roll. There you go, man. Shit. Oh, my goodness. So, I know we got to let you go here in a few minutes. So, oh, true, yeah. there are a lot of creators that watch my content and my live stream. So, besides the advice that you me earlier about uh, not being a, uh, afraid to pivot if you need to, any other advice for up-and-coming creators, man, before we get out of here? Yeah. Um, it's tough because that's it's it's really it's really broad, right? People ask questions and it's mm -hmm. like a specific feedback. But but really it can be really um it's a trap that, that I've fallen into often. I've had to train myself out of where it's like there are two traps. <laughs> One of them is wow, you know, I'm really, this isn't working. It's not up to my standards. It's not, I don't particularly like it. I don't want to publish it. And you fall into this thing of like, well, suddenly you're, you haven't published anything in days or, or weeks because you just, ah, it's just, it's not quite good enough. Do the work. It's not always going to be perfect. Put it out, learn from it, evolve, but keep doing the work. There's no substitute for that. Also though, mm -hmm. I'm in, the, this is the other thing. I'm in the middle of what I call an admin week which I've been planning to do for literally four years. Take a week off, don't produce any video, mm. do all of this backlogged stuff that needs to get done in the background. And that break, I can't tell you how important it is. It's not a vacation. I'm still working on the channel. Right. But I'm building, I'm building stuff to support future growth. And I'm giving that part of my brain that would normally be cranking out three scripts. I'm just letting it, letting it recharge. And it's crucial to do that. Don't fall prey to this... Uh, hustle porn culture that we have now where it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's Christmas Eve at 2 a.m. If you're not working, you're not taking this seriously and get out. That's bullshit. And you, you need to take care of yourself as a human. Otherwise, there's just going to be no, it's going to, you're going to be a shell of yourself when you finally do roll up to your mic and your camera and try and shoot something. It's not going to be worth anything. You got to take care of yourself. Do hard work, but take care of yourself at the same time. It's like they easy, say, but it's work smarter, not harder, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's, uh, Someone, someone has yet to come up with a, a phrase that better encapsulates that thought. So sure, we'll use that for now. <laughs> oh, man. It has been a blast talking to you. I know you said you're pretty much booked through the rest of 2020, but if you ever plan on taking another admin week or you have another 30 minutes or half an hour from me, man, I'd love to have you back on. Absolutely, man. No, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate you asking me back because I know I've been tough to pin down, and you know how it is. You, you are definitely tough. I appreciate you getting back to me in the Twitter DM, man. I know how you guys stay busy, and I appreciate course, you. Man. No, and keep it up, and I, I'm, I'm rooting for you on that goal. But as you say, you just you've got the plan in place man. all the growth you get is going to be well earned so i look forward to seeing what it is and good right. luck on the verizon thing too thank you sir i appreciate it um for those of you all watching in the youtube live stream thank you for joining us tonight for those of you all that super chatted i appreciate the contribution thank you thank you so much for those of you all listening on audio only thank you i appreciate it if you want to support the podcast there will be links in the show notes for you to do that as far as Mr. Mobile's information, it will be in the show notes and the description of this live stream. If you watch it on YouTube or audio only, it will be in the show notes. So definitely go check out Mr. Mobile and what he's doing because he's one of the true professionals of the tech faith and love talking to him, man. Thank but you, that man. is going to be it for Vibe Drop episode 54. I will be back next week with another episode. But until the next time, people, this your boy Viper, the man about tech. You know where to find me. So come back for more.